Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 15 of my podcast, I Stand Strong. As usual, I am Teddy, coming at you from my bear cave in the uh, concrete jungle of the beautiful Northwest. And today, I am joined here by my wonderful oldest nephew, Anthony. Anthony, say hello. Hey, I'm <laughs> Anthony Von Dragon. I am definitely a nephew. <laughs> yes, he is definitely my nephew. Um, God, you know, there's what, 16 years between us? Because I think I was 16 when you were born. That's weird to think of, I know. Uh, yeah, I was I was time. younger than you when you were born. <laughs> um, I, I was at your graduation and you were at mine. <laughs> and we have the same picture from both graduations, me holding you. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so um, so okay, I brought you on here to talk about one of our our joint favorite games in Borderlands. So let's let's just start by you know what what's your what was your introduction to Borderlands? So I was actually introduced by my father initially. We he start, I saw him playing it one day, and he. You know, invited me to join because it was a split screen co-op game and it really always has been so we got into it and from there we both just fell in love with the story and the gameplay and we you know we've played every entry to date together all the way through now is that starting with the first one or did you did he did the first one you play with mb2 no that was starting with the very first one okay i, I just didn't know so i figured i'd clarify that because like i remember my introduction to Borderlands was uh, my buddy Ben loved the game. And like every time he tried to explain to me, it made no sense to me. He's like, oh, yeah, it's a first-person shooter, but it's an RPG. And I'm like, that doesn't sound like it fits. Because, you know, every first-person shooter I'd seen up until then was Call of Duty, which is just run around, shoot people. I didn't understand it. Well, then one day I'm over at his place like, dude, you just got to give it a shot. So I'm like, okay, whatever. So I sit down, I created, I want to say, which is still my favorite class in the first one, I played as Brick because for some reason me running in and punching things is just so much fun to me. And yeah, I was hooked. Like it it, it just clicked. It was like, okay, now I see what he's talking about. So yeah, so uh, out of curiosity, what was your class in the first game? So I originally played the soldier to start with because my uh, my father was always playing the sirens and he always played the siren class from then on. But he generally, I wasn't as good with the aiming initially because I didn't play a lot of first-person shooter games before Borderlands. And so I wasn't as good at it, but with... Uh, the soldier, you had that turret that would help you, you know, focus your fire and give you cover. So it gave me the time to hone in my aim more and more. That's understandable. I remember, um, even though Brick the Berserker was my favorite class, I remember when I played by myself, I liked to play as Mordecai the Hunter because Bloodwing gave you so much help that it made it an easier game to play by yourself. I could, I never played a whole lot of this soldier. Was it, it was Roland. As a soldier, but uh, yeah. I never really got too much into him. 
but I could see how that turret, as you leveled it up, would probably be pretty much the same thing as having Bloodwing helping you out. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Um, drinking too much coffee at the moment. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I, I, I loved that first game. I mean, and what, what, what's your thoughts on like, you know, in hindsight, as far as that first story, because I always feel like in hindsight, the first one was kind of thin on story. It was, the gameplay was amazing. The characters were cool, but the main story, like you really never, I didn't feel you really had a true main villain to that game. And what, what's your what's your thoughts on something like that? You know, like how, how do you look at the first one in the grand scheme as far as looking back from what we have now with two prequel or pre sequel and three? Um, I think definitely the base game was lacking in story. I think the uh, DLCs actually did a better job in that first game of telling their own stories because you had a little more interactions with characters, and it felt. You know, the, the areas that you were visiting felt more alive. Like, I remember going to General Knox and having to talk with Athena and kind of learn what's going on in the world. You learn a little bit of the ranking system. You know, it, it just gives you a little bit more uh, substance to the actual narrative versus uh, early on, you're kind of running around from quest marker to quest marker in the base game. So I think the DLCs do a better job of telling stories, but I think by far uh, the later entries tell more complete stories. Okay, yeah, and so so we kind of have the same feeling, yeah. Because I was say I could I could see how yes, like General Knox, I think was the first one where you tr- well Doctor Ned, you kind of had a you kind of had a a main antagonist in a way. But, like, General Knox, I think, was the first one in the first game that truly had a main villain you were focusing after. Because, like I said, with, with that, that main game, it was like, you know, you had that... I don't even remember... Like, this is how forgettable she was. Like, you had that one character that was trying to open the vault before you, but she really was kind of just this character that kind of felt throwaway, like an afterthought almost. While I felt like all the characters you interact with were great, like as far as you know, like you know, uh, oh god, I can't remember. TK was it TK Baja. TK Baja, yeah, like TK Baja, uh, Marcus Scooter, um, the little bit you interact with Moxie in the main game, like those characters were awesome. It's just like you, but yeah, like the main game kind of felt like, oh yeah, it's just a fetch quest, go here, kill somebody, come back, and turn it in. You really didn't have a, okay, we're trying to topple, like, you know, like with two, you know, we'll, we'll get into two more specifically in a little bit, but with two, you know, you had Jack and you had this figurehead of what you were trying to stop where the first game, it kind of seemed, yeah, it, it just, you were just there to open a, a vault and they really gave you nobody that was really kind of giving you the antagonist vibe. And I kind of feel like I'm reciting myself over and over again on this one. But but I will say, I think the first one still has some of the best characters, like as far as playing with, like especially as you see where they go in the later games. Like I still feel Mordecai, Brick, uh, Lilith, and Roland are some of the better characters that you play as in the franchise. Yeah, no, I... 
I can agree with that, I think. Uh, the, the later characters have some uniqueness to them as well, but they just don't feel... I don't know, they don't feel as alive as those ones did. Then again, uh, just briefly touching on the second one, I actually initially did my first playthrough without realizing that the uh, the default option for character dialogue is none. So I actually went through without hearing any of the voice lines for the characters you played as with my first playthrough. Huh. And that kind of, you know, it takes away a lot from the experience versus in the first one where you're constantly hearing them shouting little quips and quotes. And it, you know, I didn't even know you could turn that off. I've I've never played it where they're not talking, (laughs) where they're not sitting there talking crap while you're shooting stuff. Interesting. Um, But yeah, like I think one was definitely a great starting point as far as like they had a concept they knew what they wanted to do i think but it just seemed like you know it, it wasn't fully flushed out yet i think is the best way to put it and then you know you but the core gameplay was genius i mean yeah it had this off sense of humor you had these characters that while you don't know who they are right off the bat you kind of get to to know them fairly quickly um, but then, you know, you also get this, you know, just this general, like, you know, just roaming the world was more fun sometimes than doing the main quests. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not to mention the, the customization. I mean, even in the first game, you had a lot of guns you could find. You had all that, you know, that customization you could really throw into your character, like, especially when it came to leveling up and, you know, deciding how you wanted to spec out your character. Um, Cause I mean, I, I remember, you know, since I was playing as brick, you know, I just set myself up as a tank. I'd activate my skill and the more people I was punching, the more I was healing myself. So I'd just be running around punching stuff while Michelle would be in the back phase locking stuff. And Tony, I think Tony was usually the hunter. So he'd usually be sniping stuff and sending blood wing out. And, yeah, why lie? They had to revive me several times because I would just be in the <laughs> middle of a, a mass of people and get get in over my head. Um, but yeah, like I think the only DLC for the first one I didn't really get deep into because I didn't really have a whole lot of people playing with me on the first one was Moxie's Underdome, the Underdome Riot, yeah, which was just which was just arena battles, if I remember right. Anyways, there really yeah. wasn't anything more to it. It was, you know, it was a fun time killer if you just needed to burn a, an hour or something to go somewhere. But other than that, it really always felt like that. The only benefit that DLC really served, I think, was the access to a bank. Well, that and it flushed out Moxie. I mean, you, you, I you got so much too. more fun out of Moxie. I mean, like Moxie in the main game, I think she's like you, you go and save her from some bandits or her bar from some bandits. And then you get like a little bit of like a couple quests from her. And I want to say you get like a little bit of backstory about how she was once married to Marcus as well as pretty much from the sounds of it, every other man known, you know, that's ever been on Pandora, um, which brings in another whole aspect to her character. Cause I think that's hilarious that, you know, she's just basically, she's the village bicycle of this planet. You know, everyone's had a ride at some point in time. But um, 
But yeah, so uh, we'll move on to the second because I have a lot more to say about the second and third ones, I think. You know, pre-sequel is kind of the same one with the first one. Oh, okay. You got something else to say about the first one? Well, before we moved on, I wanted to mention there was one instance in particular, a particular story that I think is quite entertaining. Okay. Because there was a point in which we were, when I was playing the first one, where uh, when I was playing it with my father, him and I ended up actually both playing soldier after a certain point because of a glitch that occurred. So we were uh, loading into our characters as usual one day, and for some reason the game actually broke, and instead of loading in his normal character, it loaded in a second duplicate of my character with all the same gear, all the same equipment, and everything on it. Now by this point, I had actually stacked my soldier up to be this unkillable, just slaying machine. So what ended up happening was he took off as much of the gear as I could carry and threw all the duplicates onto me. He built a soldier, and we built him up to my level, and then I dumped all of my gear onto him. And so we basically were running clones of the same character with the same amount of power level for the rest of the game. And it was, it was really entertaining, actually. Huh. So how did that how, how did that change? I mean, I'm just curious out of, like... So did he spec him completely the same as as yours, or did he just basically take similar and respec him his own his own kind of tweaks? And no, then we ended up actually it. specking the exact same because oh, of okay. the way that everything was designed, and especially <clears throat> uh, Roland's late one of his later skills, grit, was really really good. It was either grit or it was something else, but it was basically any time you shot your allies, you would heal them. And that became an insanely useful tool when you had a shotgun build and you could stand next to each other, shoot the bad guys, turn around, shoot your ally to full health, and then keep shooting the bad guys. Gotcha. Okay, I, I, get, the, I get the gist of this. Yeah, so that, I could see how that would work. That's interesting. Though. I've never, that's the first I've heard of any glitches actually in, uh, in the Borderlands games. I mean, not to, that doesn't mean there aren't any. It just means I haven't heard of any of them. The only oh, real I've, glitches, I've like quote funny. glitches, I remember hearing about were, I can't remember if it was on one or two where there was the glitch where you could basically give all your money to somebody, drop out of the game by turning your system off. You don't back out because that'll save. You go back into the game, you still have all your money, and that person gives you your money back. So you got double your money, and you keep doing that. I can't remember you if that was on the first one or the second. I think one. all of the games actually. Oh, you probably well with with these more modern systems. I don't think it would work because it it saves every little thing you do. It seems like anymore. Uh, I mean, it's a little more complicated with the modern systems, but it's doable. I mean, I've I've done it with uh, pre sequel on uh, Xbox One before. So oh, okay. Well, I know yeah. it's possible. The uh, I think it's, I'm kind of surprised you haven't heard of any of the glitches in one because there's a couple. I think the most notorious one that uh, the game is known for in the first one that it, that never came back in any of the other ones was the Sledge's Shotgun Catapult, which was probably one of the ones that my father and I experimented with the I've most. I've never even heard of this. So basically, when you, when you unlock Sledge's Shotgun, because you automatically get it from him usually yeah. uh, at that mission... One of the quirks of that gun is it has an insane amount of knockback that it can do. Mm-hmm. But if you shoot a target that's off the ground, which isn't something that you normally do, 
I mean, other than birds and things, but it doesn't affect the the racks and whatnot. Yeah. But if you shoot another player while they're off the ground, it actually hits them with the knockback of the full force of getting shot with the entire clip of the gun. So what you can do is go into a duel, walk up to your friend who has the shotgun, jump up in the air, and if they're crouching looking up and they shoot you, it will send you flying across the map. Well, now, so you can skip entire portions oh, of maps. Oh, okay, I get what you're saying. Okay, I was like, okay, what's the point of this? I do not see how this would help anything, but okay, there you go. There's the there's the bonus in there, okay. Yeah, you can <laughs> skip large portions. Like, uh, I think we did it on Ned's Zombie Island once or twice for some of those maps where they were just grueling to get through because you launch the player so high that they actually leave the bounds of the map, which allows them to essentially just go wherever they can aim themselves from there. Okay. There you go. See, I, I, I didn't know that. I, I've, I have, but I, I can also admit I've never done research into that kind of stuff. <laughs> that oh, we never did either. Cool. We found it out by accident initially. And then we looked more into it from there. <laughs> But uh oh well, here, here's another brief thing I remember that, that kind of I, I remember laughing about on the original game was uh, I remember on the original game there was an achievement that I for some reason had way too much fun doing called Son of an Italian Plumber where you had to kill something by jumping on its head for some reason I found something so much fun out of a Mario reference in that game that I went out of my way to get that one I remember doing it with a skag and the, like the beginning of the game, you just get it down to like almost no XP and jump on its head and bam, you get an achievement called son of an Italian plumber. I think they no the second one they did a, uh, was it definitely an Italian plumber or something like that? And it's for killing donkey mong. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. The second one also had the, uh, 360 no scope achievement, which was a lot of fun to try to get as well. They did. I didn't know they had a 360 no scope achievement on that one. Yeah. Those are a pain in the ass to do. Oh, I, I can only <laughs> imagine. I'm not, I, I'm not good enough with those kinds of guns to do that. I mean, like I'm, I'm more of a SMG and uh, assault rifle man myself. So, but okay. So we'll, we'll get it. We'll get to the second one, which is like, you know, I will say I think that's the high watermark of the series. I think it's so I think far, it's great. Yeah. And I do like I do like 3 po- at points and I I've come around on the pre-sequel a little bit. When I first tried playing the pre-sequel, I was not proud. I was not happy with that game at first. But anyways. But with 2, I think is where that thing came from like cuz I think I think Jack still holds out as like the best villain they've put in one of those games. I think the story really worked as far as like, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll probably dodge spoilers, even though pe- anybody possibly listening will probably know what happens in that game. More than likely. But anyways, I'll, I still won't say it, but there's two gut-turning, you know, just gut-wrenching twists in that story. Yep. And then you I also exactly have... what you're talking about. Yeah, I, don't, I knew I didn't have to explain. I knew very well you know exactly what I'm talking about. And then you get to the third point. My, my third favorite point is the introduction of Tiny Tina, who is still one of my favorite characters in gaming, period. Like, I love Tiny, everything about Tiny Tina. Just a little 10-year-old girl that is the most devastating maniac you've ever seen. <laughs> she was definitely a high point of that game. And I will say, to the point of the, the gut-wrenching incidences... Yeah. 
the very first one that happens, I remember my father actually had to take a break from the game for a while because he was just so mad. <laughs> uh, I thought I thought Tony was never going to play the game again. Uh, then again, I was questioning it. I won't lie. Yeah. And that and there you go. There's a there is something that speaks to the storytelling of that one. They did two things that by all rights should have made people who love the game quit. Just quit. But you still have that drive of like, no, I'm going to finish this game because now I need vengeance. Yeah. They built a world and a villain to, to focus on that just made that game made you want to push through these moments that really, by all rights, you should be like, no, I cannot believe you just did this to me. I'm done. Because I've, I've found games where they've done similar twists, and some of them it's like, yeah, that was just trying to get an emotional pop. It didn't work. I'm done. Um, but I think that, goes, that speaks to the, the connectivity they do with their characters, because they flush out their characters so well that, you know... Anything that happens to them, even if you know they get like imprisoned or something, there you, you you really feel it. You feel the kind of the tension of trying to free them, etc. Because it's they've designed these characters so well that you're tied to them, as well as the moments of like you know you go, you know you're told to like for the first time you're sent to see the firehawk, and you're like the firehawk. Who the hell's this? So you go in. And when you get that 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 reveal, it's Lilith. You're like, oh my god, Lilith is back! And you know they do that several times throughout the game, and every time you're like, oh my god, it's this other character, you know. And yeah. once again, it drives home those first character, those first four have a good, you know, ha- have some of the best arcs. And like I said, I you know it, you you can tell that the the creators obviously love those characters the most because they continually bring them back. Yeah. You know, they're not sure. it's not like they're just like okay, well no, they're they're in the past. Like I mean, they did somewhat the same thing with the characters from 2 when they brought them over to 3. But I mean, I some, of got got some of them kind of got lost. Well, yeah. Some of them definitely got more attention than others. Oh, uh, what was the the siren Maya from the second one? She gets a lot of attention. But so like, does uh Gage in one of the DLCs. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, but okay, but I was talking in the original four. I get what you're saying, yeah, because oh. you do have that, and then you have Krieg, which was the DLC in the first game. Was Krieg in the first game? DLC? No, he was in the second game. Was he, he in was the second DLC one too? Character. I couldn't remember if he was the DLC. Him and Gage were both in the second one. Okay, but it was yeah, both of them get like a DLC or get some some spotlight later on. But like of the main four. Of the second game, what Maya? Because like zero, you have like his mission board on the ship, but he's really yeah, not you get, huge. You get the cameos on uh, when you go to that particular planet. You get the cameos from him too. But yeah, other than that, zero is kind of a background character, and then Axton and Salvador. Salvador, really yeah, they're just voiceovers. They're just voiceovers in a deal uh, in a in an add-on that was great. Like I love that I love that 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 run. I mean, yeah, sure, it's Borderlands doing their take on PUBG in a way, but and doing a good job. <laughs> uh, well, play it. It plays better than PUBG. I'll put it that way. Um, but yeah, but it's at the same time you could tell that Maya was the character. That, but then again, I kind of get that because if you look at the whole story, 
the sirens are kind of the center of everything. Like everything's yeah. revolving around the sirens now. So it kind of makes you wonder if they do a, a Borderlands 4, will they do something more with the siren from the third game? I do not remember her name. I don't remember most of the characters from the third one, though. because uh, Amara it, was Amara. the siren there you go. in the third one. But anyways, um, so we'll get into, like, you know, the, the we'll, we'll start talking about classes now in the second game. Because this is where I think it, it really kind of stood out. Because you did have similars, oh, yeah. yet you had differences. So, you know, yeah, you had your siren, but her power set was totally different. Um, Then you had, instead of the Berserker... You had my favorite from the second one, the Gunzerker, Salvador, <laughs> which I had so much fun with him. And like, but then again, it's it's probably because he did play so much like just a gun-toting version of Brick. Like instead of punching, instead of dropping all weapons and punching things with both hands, you just dual fisting your weapons and blowing the shit off. And he's always making these funny comments while he's Gunzerking, which will never stop cracking me up. But then they brought back the soldier with Axton. But, you know, how, how did they make... I'll, I'll let you take over. How did they make that different from the soldier in the first one? So, uh, Axton had a couple of unique traits. First off, the, the main difference is that the turret in the base game really doesn't change a whole lot based on your skill tree in the first uh, Borderlands. You get the basic turret. I think you can make it so that it, it heals you a little bit, but other than that, it's essentially a shield turret, and the most you get to do is increase the damage a little. With Axton, you get to do that, but later in the later half of the skill trees, the turret actually gets additional modifications that can make it more useful. Uh, probably one of the best ones that it gets is the magnetic attachment where you can start sticking it to walls and ceilings and things, which, you know, it makes it way more useful because you can throw it as high as you want up onto a ceiling, and now it's shooting people behind cover for you or drawing them out from cover so you can shoot them. Now, if I remember right, don't they actually... Isn't there actually a skill that allows him to get, like, a second turret or something like that so he can yeah, have, like, more at than the bottom one? of one of his trees, he gets a, uh, a dual turret skill, and he can throw two within his cooldown. There you go. I, I was and gonna that say, I becomes say extremely cool. useful because you can stick people in crossfires and it makes it very yeah. hard for them to get away. And it also makes them kind of OP, but it's fun still. Like it, it's it's I don't I, that's another thing is I don't feel like they ever, except for occasional little things, they don't ever make anybody truly overpowered. Like everybody's got their you know they can become pretty godlike but none of them become so op that i'd really say it's game breaking except for like you know some of the stuff i've heard about like the added classes in the third one i think is what you were telling me where there's some like seriously game breaking mechanics yeah. this this <laughs> conversation will definitely take a twist when we talk about the third game <laughs> But you know, yeah. So, so you get, but you get to the core story. You know, yeah. Once again, you've got your four, you know, your four vault hunters that are. I think it's they're on a train at the beginning that gets derailed by Jack, yep. and you're left in the the cold where you once again interact with, you know, series favorite claptrap and his his wonderful quips, mm -hmm. and 
but you're introduced like instantly you're given more of a of a goal you know like you know okay this guy jack obviously you know whatever he's doing he's he's a bad guy he's he, you know he's going to be the one you have to stop you know you get to the first settlement you know you're you know you fight your way to the first settlement and on the way you get that really funny interaction with uh claptrap and having his eye stolen by the bully mong yeah <laughs> But then you also get, you know, like, you know, you get introduced to, to Hammerlock in the first settlement. And uh, I love Hammerlock. <laughs> I, I like Hammerlock, too, as a character, especially his interactions with uh, with Claptrap. And I love the going joke that nobody can stand Claptrap. Like, he seems to think he's like the coolest person on the planet, but everybody else is just like, could he just go away? Because we yeah. don't need him. And but that that kind of makes him more endearing almost because that kind of that lovable loser kind of character. Yeah. Um. Because yeah. Uh, but um. I lost my train of thought. See this this is what happens with me. I lose my train of thought regularly. <laughs> um. But no, yeah. With with that second game though, I mean, like they the I know the the like the gun amounts went through the roof. Like there were so many different more guns, and you know what you had. I think what? that game was where they started to shine with the uh, different effects on guns to the what's now commonly uh, lingo, common lingo, the red text on guns. It became really, really fun to start finding ways to use those weapons in unique and fun ways because so many of them have these just off-the-wall effects. Yeah, like I remember um the one I went out of my way for was both Moxie's good touch and Moxie's bad touch where you tip her jar so many times until she gives you the SMGs. Yep. The only thing that was bad about it, I think it was the good touch was when it you were playing on, the shit out of your controller. Yeah, it it wore the batteries out of your controller <laughs> way too quickly. Cuz I remember like I got one and it was you know on Xbox when you know it did never turned the freaking vibration off. Oh my god! My like I get it, and I'm playing. I'm like, why is my like? I thought my controller was broken or something because it just was constantly like you know lightly vibrating. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And then when I switch out of the gun, it wouldn't be there. And I'm like, no, they didn't. And then I'm like, <laughs> the good touch. Of course, it's vibrating. It vibrates your controller. Wow. And and that was a level that like once it clicked, that was a level of humor that I'm like, no, that that makes sense from Gearbox. That makes yeah. sense that they would put a vibrator joke in this game. I mean, not that they haven't already made several sexual jokes by that point in time anyways, but you know, that was that was great um you know, getting like I said, getting to to interact with all the older characters, like you know, getting to find Scooter again in Sanctuary, finding Doctor Zed, and his you know his pop up you know surgeries or a medical facility, which he he'd always kind of remind you that he's not really a doctor, um, which makes you wonder why would people trust him, but you know, and then and then Marcus, who is another one of those characters that just I hope that he, they never take him out of those games because his his humor, as far as just being this complete 
mercenary for like he'll sell his guns to whoever's buying them. He don't care what they're using them for. That makes me laugh. Even though he he usually kind of does always end up helping you more than the other people. You know, like there's the I think it's the mission when you're going to save Roland in the second game. You can find a bunch of voice boxes or like voice recorders yeah, of him trying to sell him them the guns. And the Raiders and yeah. the bandits, yep. Trying to sell them the guns. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll sell you the better ones, I swear. I'm like <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're unapologetically just capitalist. Gotcha. But um but yeah, oh, yeah, then you know, Tiny Tina, you know, I've already brought her up and how much I just love all the stuff to do with her, especially when you get into the DLCs and you get to do her uh, Bunkers and Badasses campaign. Oh, my God. Yes. And, you know, that that ties into a point we'll get to at the very end of this. But, um, you know, like, the and I, I think even the DLC shined better to me in the second one. I mean, yeah, you had Tiny oh, yeah. Tina's, uh, was it uh, Campaign of Carnage? Is that what they called Speaking it? Speaking of DLC, I think there's another character we both love that we're missing out on talking about here. <laughs> Are we talking about Gage? The Mechromancer? No, I was actually talking about Torg. Oh, I hadn't gotten I hadn't gotten to Torque yet. I was getting to the other DLCs. <laughs> I was gonna get to Torque. Um but no, I was because starting to talk about the DLCs. That's what I was get, that's how I was gonna get to him. You beat me to it. Um <laughs> Because yeah, you had her. You had her D and D one. You had the the Torques. No, it was Torque was the campaign of Carnage. Torque was the campaign of Carnage. Yeah, she was the was it the tiny assault Tina's, on Dragon Keep assault on Dragon Keep. I I I keep wanting to call it by the new game coming out, which is you know her Wonderlands <laughs> or whatever. Um, yeah. but then Lord, God, I can't remember. I know there's there was other ones that are just like slipping my mind at the moment. Uh, the other ones, I know you had the one that takes place in the desert where you're hunting for treasure. I don't remember the name of that one. Oh, uh, Captain Scarlet. Yeah, the Captain Scarlet one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which I I thought you know that was the first one, so I think it's it's kind of okay that that one was the weakest one. I felt. Uh, I think yeah. Torque. If you take Torque out of the campaign of Carnage, I think that one would have probably been pretty lackluster too. But yeah, Torque really makes that Torque one. raised that one up a, a couple bars there. Uh, yeah, so you, I totally forgot about hers. And then you had Hammerlock's hunting one, which was another one that was oh. kind of. Eh. I, I I have aspects I like of that. I think the best part of that one to me was the final boss or kind of lack thereof. <laughs> God. Yeah. One of those another that. one of those quests where you like it builds up this final boss fight and then it kind of fizzles in a humorous fashion. But yeah. uh But yeah, I felt the DL I guess I guess in hindsight, yeah, the DLC really like other than the the you know, kind of two of them, they really were kind, you know, I mean, then you know, later on they added in the the Captain Lilith one. Which was kind of a, a jump point between two and three. Yeah, I was supposed to bridge the gap in the story. Which honestly, I think that was a really cool move on the developers' part to give us that extra little bit of story and that extra bit of you know playability for Borderlands Two. Yeah, I just wish released. I just wish they would have made it a free thing instead of making it you know because they made it a 
uh, uh, expenditure one. I'm like, really, you're you're doing this when you know Actually, you're it was free to- for a period of time. I think I did niche- get it for free on one system, but it yeah, wasn't. It was it's- initially free, and then it became paid. After which I kind of don't agree with. I'm like, I'm like, you know what? You're already no, expecting people to drop this free. I agree. You know, you're already expecting. You already know people are going to drop the six at least sixty for the the new game. So do you really need the 20, 30 bucks for this DLC? <clears throat> Excuse me again. Um, but anyways, yeah, and I, I, I remember Cap, Captain Lilith being, you know, it was fun, but I remember it kind of being forgettable. Yeah, um, it, I mean, it was short. It was just a little bridge the gap kind of story. I mean, the, the, the boss encounters in it were kind of entertaining to do because they were a little more, di- they were a little different. I just remember the last one being a pain in the butt with all the vines yes. and everything. Oh, God. That, that fight was actually pretty hard. Which, you know, was a welcome challenge after playing the game for so long. You get used to the kind of... That's fair. The, the run and gun and everything. And so having a genuine challenge was kind of nice. Well, yeah. And then I, I also remember the ad- addition of that's where they really started put. I mean, like you had one raid, like raid boss, I say with air quotes that no one can see. Um, in the first game with, was it Terramorphous yeah. was what it was no, called? Cromorax. No, Cromorax. Terramorphous was the one in the, the first, the second one that the I beat. base game raid boss. Yeah. And I, one. I liked that even though I didn't beat most of them because they were BS hard. And by the time I was getting that leveled up enough to play them, most people I played with stopped playing. So I was kind of yeah. like on my own and most of them you can't do by yourself very easily. Well, um, <laughs> well, you can with exploits. <laughs> yeah, there's technically ways to. I, I, all for almost every single one of them, there's a way to kill them by yourself solo. Yeah, um, especially if you're using a soldier. But we'll we'll get to uh, we'll get we'll we'll get to a, a character you mentioned now in in the glory that is Mister Torque. Or I believe his first name is Torque Torkelton or something like that is what they made the joke at some <laughs> I point. I never remember his full name. I want to say it's yeah, that's what his name's like Torque Torkelton or something like he he has this like his name is repetitive and it's completely yeah. ridiculous. But I remember the first interaction with him. The second he came on screen, I'm like, oh god, this is going to be one of my favorite characters I've ever interacted with. That's how with. I felt too. Between him doing his own guitar solos, yelling explosions randomly, or how often they have to bleep out what he's saying. (laughs) Oh my god. Which, I was actually kind of shocked they bleeped it out, but then the more it went, I'm like, no, they're doing this just for the comic effect of bleeping it out. Uh, Yeah, and you eventually get the reason for why they do it, too, later on. I know that at some point in time, like, you can hear him talking over, like, intercoms, and he's like... I'm no longer allowed to say the words beep, 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 beep. And you're like, holy cow. But no, uh, I loved I loved him. And yeah, he was definitely pushed a step further with his little part in the Tiny Tina DLC, where you know, he just really wants to be part of the game. Uh, and he was that quest giver for that section of the story. Yeah, and you know, they, lock, they lock him. Well, they first they make him the gatekeeper. And then, and then they lock him in a pillory. And then they lock, <laughs> yeah. Then they lock him in the stockades because he has you blow up the stuff to go, like blow up the three balloons or whatever it was, like the three hot air balloons or whatever that are zeppelins that are floating over the city. 
which you later find out you really shouldn't have blown up. Um, but once again, yeah, he, he's just this, like, I think it's beautiful because he's so over the top yet. He's so childlike at points. Like, it's almost like he doesn't, he never developed past like 13 year old. So he's a 13 year old in this giant muscular man's body with a big old stash and just yelling everything. He, He can't talk with a normal voice. No. And every little aspect of him, like, I, I want to know where they got the idea for him. I'd love to hear the story of, like, if it was just somebody in the office that has that personality, and they're like, we got to make this a character in the game. Because there, ha- I feel like there has to be a personal story behind him somewhere. There has somewhere. to be a background somewhere, yeah. And I imagine if I ever dig into it, I'd find out what what they did. You know, like, why why they made him how they made him. But... At the same time, I kind of don't want to know because it's like it's just fine knowing he just he is what he is. Um, yeah. So, well, well uh, um, but back to the, the the original four characters. Now, do you feel in the long run, as far as like just in their game itself, we already know we've talked about like in the like going further, they really only used one of them truly well. Do you really think they build right. up those four main characters good for that second game? Uh, as far as story-wise, I think, you know, I mean, they all have their custom dialogue and kind of reactions to the different events that go on in the game, which helps them feel more connected, but I, I don't know. It always feels like the player characters are kind of just there. They exist in a, a sort of limbo of void, because they don't really have the same level of interaction because even though it's an rpg you really don't get to choose many things the story kind of it plays out around you and you just experience it rather than actually getting to choose any elements that's fair but i mean you do get you do kind of get i guess in the second one i think that their attempt to kind of give backstories to these people since you really you know in the first one you kind of did get backstory to these individual characters as you were going the right. second one, and I think, you get more to them in the second game. Only, yeah, and I think in the second game, the only thing they really did was I want to say you get like a a voice recorder or something like that of each individual person, like when you start the game up, that you can yep. listen to, and it kind of gives you like almost like a um like a dialogue about who they are, and it's like it kind of gives you a backstory, but at the same time, it kind of felt like last second thrown into like, oh crud, we really didn't flush out these characters. Let's let's put this in here. So I guess yeah. while that is the better What's game funny is to that me, became a trend for the later a trend for the later games too. Yeah, they did that in the third one as well. I want to say I think. Yeah, and in the pre sequel. Yeah, I can't speak a whole like I, I played through the pre sequel once. Um, but you know, like with, but with those, you know, it's like so it's it's kind of funny that like to me the high watermark is the second game. Yet you're playing with characters, you really yeah, you're kind of right. They're kind of just these archetypes that you're in you know they're they're just these place markers for you to be there to interact with the world around it um that said though i mean like i do still think they're great characters like i said through their little voice dialogues through um their interactions with the other characters you interact with you do kind of you get their personalities you just don't really have that i don't feel like you have the same connection with the first the first four with the second four 
or the third four. Um, Honestly, that would be the one point that I would say the third one did do well on. Really? Was developing them more. Because I think, uh, especially in the third one, the characters have a lot more dialogue with the quest givers where they're actually having a conversation with the people and each character responds in their own way. And I think that actually added a pretty decent element to those characters. I guess I don't really flush them out more. That doesn't really, I don't really remember that, but I'll, I, I don't doubt it. Cause I, I know you've played a lot more of the third one than I have. The second one's the one I've put the most time into. Um, but I mean, then like, you know, then you get to, okay, go, going towards the, the, the end game of two, when you get into the stuff, like you start flushing out a character that really you had no, like for, for all you knew in the first game, she was just like a computer program an angel. Like I loved the little twist that they brought her in and you, get this kind of like last minute sting of, Oh no, she's not a computer program. (laughs) And the twist to do with her, which leads into the second gut wrench moment is, was actually like this shocking thing that I didn't even know I needed. Like as far as I know, okay, yeah, she's just a computer program and a satellite that they show you in the end of the first one. Um, so you're like, okay, she's just a computer program that for whatever reason is trying to help you do something on this planet. You really don't know what her end game is. And then all of a sudden, oh, nope, we're going to we're going to show you the true story behind this character. And it's almost also, yeah. you know, and also for a character that you really don't you really shouldn't have a connection to. You kind of get a heartbreaking connection to her before the second game's over. Yeah. So and there's there's a couple different points of uh, kind of shock value moments with her. Well, especially if you too. find the the voice the voice box the echo recordings that's what they're called echo recordings yeah. of like who she was before she was angel, and it's like oh oh god, really <laughs> you're you're doing this to me. That was actually kind of a, a surprise to me in the third one as well. In the base game, there's actually a whole side quest that's devoted to giving you even more background to her and Jack. Where do where did you find that one? I don't remember. I'm I'm wondering if I did this and I just don't remember it or. It was it, when you're doing the main quest line in three. There's a certain part where you go into Tannis's lab and off to the side of her lab is this kind of secret door with an echo log on it. And if you take the echo log, the door opens and you enter into this area where she's essentially collected a bunch of stuff from handsome Jack as kind of study material. And you find a bunch of echo logs and they kind of detail the buildup of Angel's childhood with Jack and what ended up happening and why they both became who they were. Okay, I may have to go into this. Uh, I may have to log into that game at some point in time and see if I can find that because it almost sounds familiar, but almost like I think what it's I'm not thinking a of. The, lot, I'm but... thinking what I'm thinking of is the stuff in the second game because I know in the second game, like on your way to Angel's quarters in that mission or her her location. You find like a bunch of echo recorders that are like 
Jack talking to her as a kid or talking about mm-hmm. how he's raising her. You know, uh, I guess there that that was a sp- spoilers, y'all. Lol. Uh, you know that she is hack- handsome Jack's daughter, but um, you know that that whole thing was just a you know that I guess that was in a way that's like kind of the third gut punch. I mean, sure, it kind of takes a a backseat to the other two, but yeah, for sure. But definitely, it you know it it did have a gut wrench moment when you kind of realize, and then you know it ultimately leads to the 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 other big gut punch. But um, so yeah, I I think I think that's a that's a good amount of two. So we'll get into one that I haven't played as much of, but I did. Like I said, I've come around on the pre sequel. I realize what it serves to do. It was a great little kind of thing to give you more story to Jack, like being where he was in the second game. Yeah. But at the same time, it really feels like it was always just meant to be a DLC for two that they decided to make a little bit longer and make a full game out of it and charge full price for it. So to me, that kind of hurts it to me. It's like I kind of have this negative connotation to it going into it. But that said, I found a lot of fun, especially playing as Wilhelm. That was my character in that one. You know, once again, you know, playing by myself, you have two turrets that just make it easier to play by yourself. Um, See, I actually quite enjoyed that one as well, gameplay-wise. I think all the character designs were good. And it was the interesting part of that that I think I loved the most was you're playing as characters that you've seen. You're playing as these characters that you've interacted with before. So, you know, well, with the exception of one, I guess, technically, because you don't interact with uh, one of the DLC characters. Uh, oh, the the, dupl- the, du- the the doppelganger. Yeah, no, you don't well, interact with him until the third one. Technically, you do. Because there is a mission in the second one where you're going after one of his. I mean, you, you don't interact with that specific one, but you know he's Jack had several doppelgangers because you yes. kill like one or two of them in the main story to two. Yeah. So I I never played with that character though, so I don't really know much as far as like the mechanics they did with him. He was kind of fun, interesting. But like but... I I liked Wilhelm. Uh, was it Athena? Was the one that basically becomes Captain America. Like she Athena was my personal favorite because yeah, you can either become Captain America or you can become uh, Deadpool is the alternative where basically she gets a move where you hit your melee button and as long as you're a certain distance from an enemy, you fly straight to them and bash them and you can chain those melee hits to just fly it across the map. Gotcha. See, I I only ever fiddled around with her or with uh with Wilhelm. I did a little bit with Claptrap, but. His action skill is almost more of a hindrance, so I think he's one of those ones, like, you want the real challenge, you play as Claptrap. Because, like, I hated the, like, it it just didn't, for a first playthrough, which I've only done one, like I said, it it made no sense to go with something that's completely random. Like, you know, you could get something good, it may be a hindrance to you by activating your, your action skill. Yeah. Um, but then was it the Lawbringer was the last playable character base game yeah yeah and i i didn't mess with her but i remember interacting with her in the second game because she's the one that runs the like the the wild west-esque town that you go to she's the sheriff of that town yeah and and handsome jack's girlfriend but then again the character 
that uh, they allowed you to play us in that game. Again, this was DLC, but they added uh, Aurelia as well, who, again, is a character you don't interact with until the third one. So I think it's interesting that the two who? DLC characters, uh, Hammerlock's sister was a playable character as well. She was? Yeah. Oh. I think it's interesting to know that the two DLC characters for that game you don't actually really see until later on in the third one. And even then, one doesn't show up until a DLC in the third one. Huh. Like, I don't remember... I don't remember seeing a, a sixth character in pre-sequel. I just remember the main four and the doppelganger. But, okay, that's that's cool. I'll, I'll have to look into that at some point. I mean, I have the handsome collection at the poll, so, I mean, so I can I. play it anytime <laughs> I want. Um... But yeah, with with the pre-sequel, though, like, I liked some of the stuff they were doing with it. Like, I liked the addition of Ground Smash, which they carried over into 3. Yeah. Even though I really didn't use the mechanic, I liked the mechanic. I thought it was kind of a cool addition. Um, I wasn't real fond of, like, all the, like, points where you had to, like, run from air pocket to air pocket. Yeah. That kind of got tiring real quick. Where I thought pre-sequel shined the best was actually the DLC where you go into Claptrap's mind. That was amazing. That was hilarious. I had fun with it. And I'm like, okay, this this looks like this is where you figured out what you were doing here. Other Not than the fact that- the final boss of that DLC in particular was so much fun to do. It was oh, a serious God, challenge. I almost tore was- what little hair out oh. I had left fighting him. Oh, I had so much problems with that boss. <laughs> it was hard. They made it yeah. really hard, but it was really enjoyable, too, because it oh, had it that challenge that it felt like a lot of the bosses in the game were missing. Although, to be fair, some of the bosses in pre-sequel were actually pretty unique. There were some pretty clever designed bosses. I mean, it's, I know really early on you fight Deadlift, which is a really clever fight where he'll actually move around a vertical arena, which is something we hadn't seen yet. See, I don't remember a whole lot of that game. Like I, that, that shows you pretty much how much like most of that game stuck with me. I just remember it as being, you know, this great little kind of like pocket story that allowed you to see what got Jack from where he would have been in, around, you know, kind of around the, the Borderlands 1 era to him being the head of uh, Hyperion. Yeah. yeah. Hyperion in the second game. But it just didn't, I guess it just didn't grip me as well as it gripped other people. But like I said, I liked the idea, like you said, though, where you're you're going back and when you realize these characters you're playing as are all characters you've at least heard about in yep. the second game. So, you know, like Wilhelm, when you see him though, he's a completely different person in the game in the uh Yeah. And the game, other thing is he's completely robotic watched- robotic by that point in time. Where in this he's yep. like still half robotic, half human kind of thing. And if you watch the credits too, it actually uh will show the different transformations of the characters. Like you get to see Wilhelm having all the robotic parts put onto him you kind of see Jack and uh, Nisha, that was the lawbringer, Jack and her getting together. You see Athena leaving and, you know, the credits help even more fill out 
where those characters ended up as well. Well, the thing that's weird is, come to think of it, Athena was a character you you met in the first game. Yeah, she's probably she wasn't the, even in the second the game, was she? Ones. No, she only ever appears in the pre sequel again, and then after that, she kind of vanishes unless you include the Telltale Borderlands game, which I I haven't played that one either. Michelle played that one and she loved it, and I know that's also where uh, you know they do another gut punch moment at the end of that yeah. one. Yeah, that ties into the third one and gives you a great little goodbye to that character in the third one. But um, yeah, not not being real deep into it. Like I'm I'm happy it it exists and I'm happy there are people who have found it and enjoy it more than I did. It just wasn't my it it just didn't stick out to me to be one that I was going to play as yeah. much as I like two. Like I said, two is the one like I've put God knows how many hours into that game. Because of all the different characters I've played, how many times I've played through with single characters, all that I think that that's stuff. one mistake that they did when designing 3. I think they tied too many of the characters from that Telltale series Borderlands game into 3. So there's a lot of instances where if you haven't played it, or at least watched it to know what the core story of it is, you miss a, a lot Ooh, of references yeah, and have, a lot of other details. You have the the head of the, the bandits that was left out to dry by his own group that was a tell, one of the characters from Telltale. Yeah. Um, you interact with the main character from the Telltale game the what, on of one of the planets... I think you go to and he's, you know, he's there and he's wearing that horrible mustache and everybody makes fun <laughs> of him for it. So I guess yeah. this just ties straight into three. We might as well just go straight to it because I, I have nothing else to say about the, the pre-sequel. I mean, what little, what little I got of it, I like it. I enjoyed that it exists. Yeah. It, it's, it's just really, not my thing. Yeah, it felt like an experiment to see how they could make the controls work well in three. And I think that's where some of the control schemes came from. Like the ground slam and other mechanics. Yeah, but then you but, know. Yeah. Now, but but getting getting to three though, you have like I think three. My favorite points to it are some of the stuff like you don't feel like you have as many recycled classes. Yes, you have no. the siren, but it's a very once again very different version of a siren. You have uh, Zane, who's my favorite. That's that's my that's my class. Um, yeah, who he's is going to need to be a conversation point. When we talk about the I love, issue. <laughs> I love Zane from character design to yes. all of his little voice acting, like especially like you know, like down to like little like. And I will say that yeah, the third one they did so many little things. Like you go in and you change your look, your character is going to say something when you come out yeah. of that. So like Zane, all the times like oh, I look good, and the Irish. I think it's supposed. Yeah, it must be an Irish accent that he's got. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And he is just such a smarmy asshole, but it's funny. But then you have Flack, yeah. who I really like what they did with Flack. I haven't gotten deep into playing as him yet, but I like the idea of this, you know, this robotic character that has these pets, and each pet changes the way that game plays. So that gives it like a more of a depth. Then you've got uh, was it Mose was the name of the 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 gunner yeah the gunner the that soldier, has the the, the mech. Equivalent. yeah that has the mech which I think that was probably my least favorite of the classes even though I could see the appeal of it it just didn't mm -hmm. didn't speak to me 
But you know, like like I said, I was I was a Zane person. Like the second I booted up Zane, I'm like, oh yeah, this is this is my character. You know, I I love the fact that you, like, you can forego having your grenades for a second action skill. So I'd run uh, his doppelganger and his drones, and yeah. just you know have a whole lot of fun. And especially like, and what what really sold me on the doppelganger though was you put out his doppelganger and he'll make some kind of smart ass comment about, no, that's the real Zane. Shoot him! Shoot him! Yeah. And like, I don't know. It's like that, but like you know then. I love listening to, you know, like when I've played it, I played it mostly with Michelle and she plays Amara and I love the little interactions, but there's been little interactions that I've noticed between Amara and Zane where Amara really can't stand Zane. And for some reason that cracks me up. Like she does not take his shit. And that is somewhere like, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that, that, that puts it, that makes it stand out in its own way. Not only do they use classes that don't feel like you, oh Jesus, that they just like took the previous game's classes and kind of copied them over and just slightly tweaked them. They did, I guess they kind of did give them a little more backstory in, in between their banter. And you, personality especially. And I think the personalities, they really yes. had solid personalities on these characters. Yes, they did. Um, like I said, I can't really speak much to Moe's because I never played much as her. I played Moe's a lot, and she definitely has her own unique personality as well. I mean, Flack is a robot. How much personality can he really have? But I know he, you know, like, I know he does talk, but I don't really remember much of his voice lines. Yeah, so, I didn't get the chance to play him much myself. He was kind of the, yeah, I think he was the quietest one of the bunch of the four. Zane is definitely the most talkative. <laughs> yeah, by but far. Then, then when you but but you you mentioned Gage pops back up in one of the DLCs. Now, were you kind yeah. of upset that she pops up, but she's really kind of a still kind of a side character in that DLC? I mean, it felt like a lot. That was the way it was with a lot of the characters, with the exception of I guess Krieg. He was front and center in his, but hers uh, was. I don't know. It. Sh- Trying to say that she was a side character would be hard because she does still interact with you through the majority of that quest line. Yeah, but she's not. It's not like she's front and center and you're going out and doing missions with her or, you know, you she's the wedding planner. So you kind of you kind of interact with her, but she's still kind of like for what potential she had to be doing something. I really kind of felt like. Maybe I should say she's there, but she I feel she feels underutilized in that DLC to me. That I can agree with. I don't um, I think there's definitely some ways they could have implemented her better. But yes, you're right. The Krieg DLC, when I finally played that one, that was another emotional gut punch one to me though. Like playing that yeah, and seeing the, like the true story and like you get the whole two personalities of Krieg. And that made for an interesting dynamic because like you know, you just always think of these psychos as just being you know, mindless people that babble nonsense. Yeah, and you finally get the uh, the knowledge of how they all actually became the way they did. How they're made and why he, you know, and but you get this whole aspect of, like, there's this super intelligent, super normal person locked inside that head. And you kind of get this feeling of, like, God, how hard would that be to be completely knowledgeable like in the back of your head you have this little piece of you that is seeing everything you're doing but has no control over what's going on 
See, that was an interesting dynamic, even in his uh, in his intro, because he has this little kind of trailer cutscene where he meets uh, Maya for the first time in yeah. Borderlands Two, and even in that, you kind of get the idea that the two personalities are fighting with each other already. So you get you, this going into that DLC. You, want, you know they, that. You've got to wonder if they've been there. It's been there the whole time, but that's what I'm getting at is like, since he was created to be this, this psycho, he's always been locked in his own head, watching yep. his, his more feral side control everything. And, you know, may, maybe it just speaks to me as somebody who, you know, I have my depression and I have that little voice in the back of my head. Thank God the voice in the back of my head is the crazy one and not the one that's out front most of the, most of the time. <laughs> but I could only imagine what would happen, you know, like when when I go into a true depressive state, it almost does feel that way sometimes. So to me, there was like this personal connection to that one. So like the yeah. more I'm talking about this, the more I'm really actually coming around on the third one being a better game. It's just, I think... Oh, I'll get into it. The third one, the 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 villains just the DLCs made that game shine. Period. Yeah, I the, think the th- I, the... I think most people can agree the base story of that game was just the twins not were really abysmal. There. It didn't live up to it. The twins were abysmal. Like having this Odd. horrible take on YouTube influencers essentially as your yeah. villains. And then it really didn't... I think they could have done that if they did it right. They could they, have probably made it work. I think they would have been great right. as, like, minions to a bigger bad. I think they would have been great as being, like, the second and third, like, you know, maybe just some lieutenants in the, in the employ of a bigger villain. But making them the front and center kind of just, like, to me, yeah, I was like, that and it's like I I don't know like I'm I need to brush up on the lore of the world of the the sirens, but the whole thing of like you know they're both kind of sirens, but he's the first one you've ever heard of that's a male siren, and also yeah. he's kind of like a leech to her. Like he ha- she has to get the power so he can take from it from I her. Gather the uh, from what it sounded like they were actually uh, conjoined at birth which is why they both ended up with the same siren power and why he has a mechanical arm instead of a real one is because they had to cut off his arm to separate them now did she have a a mechanical arm on the side that would have fitted like if they were attached like at an arm situation like I can't I don't did... think so I think she had two normal arms okay, I think she I was could, the I only could. one who had a mechanical arm that's what I thought too, but I couldn't remember. I was like, I was wondering if like maybe they were joined at like a shoulder or something like that. So when they were separated, yeah. they each had like you know like his right arm is the robotics or her left arm is robotic or no, vice versa. It's just or his. Okay, yeah. Like I said, I I that and I felt like the the attempts to get gut punches kind of fell flat to me. Like they they realized the emotional stuff they got in the second one, and they tried to reproduce some of it. And I don't feel like it really worked as well. Um, right. But I did like the introduction of, like, as long as they do something going forward with her, I like the addition of the, like, the apprentice to Maya. Yeah. Um, I can't remember her name. Oh, goodness. Ava. Ava, thank you. But I will say, like, I like the character. I like the potential of going with her, um, of what they could do with her, I should say. But where she really shined to me was uh, 
probably about two or three months ago, I was playing some with Michelle and we played, there was a, a quest you can do where she's running a podcast. That's the only that thing I haven't completed in that cracked game. Cracked me up. Oh my God. It is hilarious. Oh, I loved every second of it. Um, maybe it's because, you know, like I, I enjoyed doing this and recording my own podcast. So it's, it kind of had that going with it, but also the fact that it's just ridiculous, you know, her mysteriously her <laughs> is the name of her podcast. And it's like everybody, nobody's taking her seriously. And it, I, I guess maybe that's something that added to it, but you know, but then, you know, you know, getting to see tiny Tina again, even though she's grown up and it's kind of, it was kind of an interesting dynamic to see her grown up. And I was really kind of hoping she'd be a playable character for this one. Um, yeah, a lot of people were. I know a lot of people were. It's like, oh, come on, make Tiny Tina a playable character, please. But um, but then, like, I, I think the other thing that was kind of weird with, with the third one was they went a little big for themselves, I felt like. You know, you, go, you get to the ability to go to all these different planets, but none of the planets themselves feel complete. They don't feel as alive and lived in as Pandora did in... Yeah, two, and even the first one, Pandora and one and two was this this you know sprawling world that you know you're only touching the surface of. Between one and two, you get to see a decent chunk of it, and then yeah, you get this little piece on Pandora. Then you're up in space and you're going to these different planets, going after all these different vaults, and it's like, why didn't you just focus on one of the planets and really flush that one out? And that way you could be like, okay. For four, we'll go to another planet and we'll see what what this vault on this planet was all about. Or you could just done that as DLCs, you know, like the first one is only on one planet. And then, you know, like, OK, the DLC, you're going to go to another planet where there's another vault somewhere and you get, you know, somebody else is your villain. That's that's how you introduce your villain. Like there's some other warlord yeah. on this planet. And it seemed like it sprawled itself out so much that some of it just kind of felt, some of it felt bland, while other of them you could tell they put more time into. I think like the Atlas planet, for example, you could tell there was definitely some time put into that one versus like Athenas, where it was the monk planet, and you really don't do a whole lot there. See, that tells you exactly that. What proves your point is I don't even remember Athenas. Yeah. I don't exactly. remember that planet at all. Like I remember, I remember Atlas. Yeah, I remember the Atlas planet because I remember. Yeah, you're interacting with the guy from the Telltale game, and I want to say Zero's going after him in that one, or somebody claiming to be Zero. Yeah, and and yes, yeah, so you have these these like. So I guess it just felt disjointed at points. Maybe it, it felt like okay, yeah, we're gonna put all our time into here, but then we'll just add in this little thing over here. You're gonna go to, but just just rush through that one because we didn't put enough time into it. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe they just didn't want to, maybe they just didn't want to put the time into everything or they were just rushing to get the game out because let's face it, that is a big part of gaming anymore is yeah. they rush to get something out because they want to get it on the market. But that being said, I do, like I said before, I think the DLCs in that game really did shine. I think that the handsome jackpot. Oh, was really that good. was great. I liked the, that one. The the marriage of Hammerlock and uh, Jacobs was it Jacobs? Jacobs. Yes, yeah. Jacobs. Yeah, that was that was a really solid um, story, and I enjoyed. I that will one. say I liked that, and I know this 
this totally sounds like social justice warrior thing, but I liked it because of the fact that they went out there and they're like, no, we're going to do a gay marriage character. And I'm like, yeah. but they, but they also don't, it's not like they're rubbing your face and they're like, Hey, look, we're progressive. We're progressive. They no, just throw it, it out there and it's like, there. they're a couple deal with it. Yeah. You know, this, this is going to be the story, but then you throw in the Cthulhu aspect and me being an HP Lovecraft horror fan <laughs> yeah. that, that just gives it an added bonus. I'm trying to remember the other, I mean, I know then you had the, the one with Axton and, uh, so but that wasn't a, that was was that actually a DLC or was that just a a bonus it thing? It was technically added? a DLC, but it wasn't a big one. It was a minor thing, although okay. it was still a lot of fun. To oh do. yeah, no, I, I love that. Was that was one of those ones that really brought you back to the roots of Borderlands One. It felt like when you're playing it because you have no action skills. You're entirely reliant on your own skill with the guns you pick up and uh, your you know your grenades and. And I, I'd love to see how much fun the voice actors for Axton and Salvador had recording the voiceovers for that one. Yeah, just some of the stuff they have to that they banter with in between that was comedy gold. Like I can't remember the ad that Axton makes Salvador read, but he makes him read an ad at some point in time. <laughs> That's all rhymes. Yeah, and like even even Salvador's like, do I really have to say this? He's like, yeah, man, we have to get the sponsors, and that that kind of stuff. I mean, like, it, I I like the fact that it's aware of itself. It's not to, it never none of the games really take themselves too seriously, even no. if they are doing you know like these really deep emotional stories. And like I said, if you really break in, I know when you really dig into the the lore of sirens in that universe. It's this really deep lore that I can't remember everything, but I know there's like only so many sirens on yeah. at a time. When one dies, obviously their power gets sent somewhere else. Like, and I, I can't remember. Do they choose who it goes to, or does it just go uh, to somebody? I think they can, but I don't think it always. If they die before they get a chance to, it goes to someone random. Because I mean, I know like with with uh, with Angel in the second game when you find out you know she's a siren, and of course you know, whatever spoilers, all she dies. You find out in the third game that she handed her powers to Tannis, which nobody knew until the twist. And then they do the whole thing with Amaya gets, uh, Amaya, no, no, Maya, uh, Maya gives hers to the little girl. I forgot her name. Ava. Ava, Thank you. Yes. Um, so that leaves you wondering, you know, and like some of the other things like, okay, are there, where did the powers from the twins go once? Yeah. Cause you know, once they're gone, there's powers now somewhere. Yeah. Um, so that, that out of the last two DLCs that oh, there you go. exist as well. Uh, I was thinking on it to remember what they were. Cause I know Krieg was the one of them. We've talked about that the, one quite a the bit. The fluster cluck. Yeah. Which, the yeah, that was one, beautiful that actually turned out to be my favorite out of all of the DLCs that I've played was the one that takes place on Gehenna, the Wild West one. Oh, the one with the, uh, the, oh, I can't remember what they call those lizard creatures, but they ride the, they ride the like T-Rex looking things. Yeah, that one ended up being one of my favorite stories out of all of them. That was surprisingly good. I remember liking that one. That's, I think that's true. 
the in, one of the interesting parts of that game, and one of the things that you cared about that particular DLC is there's a certain point where uh, you rescue this guy from a, I think it's basically just a bathhouse, and he shows up in the town and he'll start playing, and he'll sing a verse of a song. Well, I found out after replaying it, if you actually go back to him, after every main boss encounter in that DLC, he'll add another verse to the song until it's completely done after you defeat the Well, yeah, boss. isn't he singing your singing like the tales of your expedition or whatever? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so I, he'll keep adding verses as you go. Yeah, I, I, I forgot that one. I don't know why I forgot that one because I remember really liking that one. But then again, I... You know, I've only played through, I think, the DLCs once on that one. But, like, Handsome Jackpot was the one that stands out the most to me. Once I played the the Krieg's Fuster Cluck, I, I really liked that one for the the story of that one. Like, I, I, don't, I couldn't tell you what happened in most of that, that, that mission because I, I, you know, but most of that, that story. I just know the core of that story was where that one shined to me. The yeah. whole idea that yes, Krieg is this crazy guy, but in his own way, he had he had these feelings for Maya. He could never tell her because he could never really say anything other than the weird shit that psychos blurt out there. Yeah, um, and you also get kind of hints that uh, Maya also isn't entirely quote-unquote dead and that she is actually living in his mind well yeah well they make a a reference that she'll always be alive in his minds but i i didn't i don't know how i read that when i read that that she you know like she's still somewhat alive or i just kind of i i don't well the problem is they never officially show her die so i don't believe she's dead uh you know until you show me a body i'm not believing you're dead yeah they've also um covered in you know through through some of the dialogue if you just talk to her randomly both in that dlc and outside of that dlc when you have the opportunity to you know she also mentions that she's been studying up on all these ancient siren techniques and all these meditative things and that she may have found a way to continue to live even after she dies and so you get all these little subtle references that she could still very much be alive out there interesting and, and I just realized we've we've glossed over another one of my great characters that was introduced in two, and she really comes to the kind of the forefront in three, and that's Ellie. The oh yeah, scooter sister and big old woman, just hell of a lot of fun to talk to. Um, and you know what? We 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 can't really talk about her without talking about the fact that you know yeah she becomes the the head of the catcher ride in the third one because Scooter dies in the Telltale games, which was yeah horrible to hear about. Even I worse when I actually saw both a clip the times of it. you encounter her, she's killing someone because they forgot to take care of her car. <laughs> well, that or she's just killing them because she. I, I think she's also just she's kind of like Tiny Tina, where she just loves a little carnage herself. I mean, yeah, you know, but like you know, she. She's one of those characters I feel like, you know, she she felt kind of like almost like she was just a secondary character in the second game, but in the third one they really kind of, you know, they she really flushed the her out. That game. Yeah, well, but she she became Scooter, but she became she was still her own person. She just she became the person who who ran the catcher rides. But, yeah. you know, she 
she really was her own version. They didn't just make her into, you know, the exact... I mean, really, you couldn't make her into the exact same thing as Scooter because Scooter no. was completely unique. But then again, so was yeah. she. Um, But, like, you know, like, my interactions with her in the third game is Zane. Like, everything he says to her, she seems to think he's he's trying to make a pass at her. And I love <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, I love the fact that she's supposed to be Moxie's daughter, and you're like, really? How yeah. the heck is Moxie and her related? Then again, you wonder the same thing about her and Sco- uh, Moxie and Scooter. You get a hint to that in the pre-sequel, too, when you encounter Moxie in that one instance. Oh, okay. I don't remember that one either. But You, you hear her with the same accent that Scooter and uh, Oh, that's Ellie right. Have. Yeah, she's got the, the, the drawl. I forgot about that. And when she's wearing yep. like the, the completely plain clothes. And, and you find out she's hiding. actually a... Like a extremely good mechanic, yeah. Um, but yeah, so we'll we'll go ahead and get into just just a quick question before we wrap up here because we've already got a lot longer than I normally go, which I'm okay with. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on the the upcoming Tiny Tina D and D inspired uh, Borderlands they got coming up here? Well, I think, first off, I think it was a smart move to create a game like this because of how well-received that DLC was in Borderlands 2. The Tiny Tina's Assault on Dragon Keep was a fan-favorite DLC. I mean, they even made it a standalone game, so you could play just that DLC pre-kind of before this drops. Yeah. But I love the idea behind it, that you are going to be playing a D&D themed adventure with Borderlands style loot characters, you know, and that sense of humor because it works so well with a D&D world coming from a dungeon master. I think it's yeah. a great idea and I think it's going to be a lot of fun if they do it right. Now, uh, and from what I've seen, it looks like they're going to. Oh, it lo- well, it looks like they're not, they're not, cheaping this out they've they've put thought into it they know what they're doing like i've looked at yeah. the classes that are set up it but what intrigues me because it could either really work or it might not work so well is the idea of you're starting with one class but as you go eventually you can almost like crossbreed classes and that could be interesting it for me, it depends on one thing and that's are the classes going to have multiple skill trees still so, like, if you pick, I say, I don't know, the, whatever the Warlock class is, do they have three unique skill trees to go down it so that when you sounds... multi-class, you'll get a total of, like, six? No, it sounds like each, uh, uh, from what little I've read, given this has been a little while since I've done the done the research, each class will basically have, like, two s- separate, like, side trees. So, like, the one I really like... Of course, you're, no one's going to be shocked when, you know, anybody who knows me will know I want to be the one that gives you the chance to be Thor-esque. <laughs> and there is a class that, you like, one side of the skill tree is you get a hammer that you can throw, and then you can call it back at will, and it does it damage on the flight, on it does damage when it hits, like, it'll do, like, an air, uh, AOE on, a, on hit, and then you can call it back, and it can hit somebody on the way back. That I'm all about that. That that's me. It's like they made that just for me. 
Yeah, I thought about you when I saw that character. I think there's only I want to say at least with what they've shown, it sounds like each one will have like two separate skill branches off the beginning, and then basically you'll probably gain access to the other two when you can start crossing, which will give you four total of four, which is still way more. Like I think six would be too much. You'd be like, I mean, that's like way too much expounding upon what you've got to me. I also loved the idea that they're replacing the grenades with spells in this one. And well, because yeah. that makes that works really well, especially because in the DLC for Tiny Tina's, you had spells in your grenade slot where you could equip a special grenade and it would give you access to, you know, a fireball or a lightning bolt or something. And it was really fun to use those. Well, and but at the same time, it wouldn't. You know, like I'm. A, I already believe it's kind of weird that they're even doing it with guns in general. Like, because I'm like, dude, it's D and D. Where are my swords, my axes, crossbows? And you still get melee weapons too. They've already yeah established but, that. But it's just it's weird to think. Okay, but at the same time, in that world, guns would make sense. So I'm like, you know what? I'm yeah. I'm giving them the benefit of that doubt. But the idea. Of like, yeah, it would be weird to have them just have straight up grenades. So yeah, I like the idea of like, oh yeah, you'll throw like a firebomb or you'll throw a lightning cluster or something like that instead of a grenade. I'm all about that. That that that's cool. And see, like I'm not I haven't done a whole lot of D and D. Like I fiddled around with it with you that one day and I had fun with it. But I'm intrigued on this to see the pure customization because it sounds like this one you're also you're also not even getting set looks like you get to no, customize you your actually character design your character off the bat and that's and outfit and everything that's new so once again that's something else that adds another uniqueness to it so it looks like they're they're taking what's worked they're expanding on it and they're adding other things that just like okay we want this game to stand on its own so you don't have to play one, two, pre-sequel, and three to play this game. So it's opening up that door yep. to new people. And I mean, and I'm I'm all about the sliders on character creation. Trust me, Elden Ring, when I booted it up, I was probably about a half hour alone just setting up my character so he looked the way I wanted him to look, even though I'm not going to see my face half the time. That's how I felt whenever I designed a character. Monster Hunter, Fallout, whatever. Oh yeah! I'm oh, with forever. oh yeah! With uh, with my character on Elden Ring, like I even found this scar that I had to get to just the right position on his face. I was doing. I spent probably ten minutes alone just doing that to like make sure it was at the right orientation. It's sitting on his cheek, just where I want it. It's the right color. <laughs> Yeah, that's I'm, that's I'm character creation for you. Yep, and, and and the more you give me, the more I'm going to play with. Sadly, so it's like you know, really, I, I'm gonna, I'm going to have to boot up that game when it comes out. You know, when when Tiny Tina's was it Wonderlands or whatever it's called Wonderlands. Yeah, that drops this month, doesn't it? Uh, I want to say later this month. Yeah, when it drops, I'm probably going to have to boot up the game before I get online with anybody and just set up my character. Otherwise, people are going to be waiting for me for for. For flipping ever. Yeah, that's what I'm going to end up doing too. I'm probably yeah. going to get it on uh, PC when it launches instead of console because I'm going to be wanting to run it through it with my father like we always do. Yeah. It's kind of our tradition. See, I'm gonna I'm gonna look into. I'll, pro- I'll probably do that pretty soon, or I'll look into seeing. I know it. I want to say it's the 22nd of this month, so I'll probably go on and get ready to pre-order it because I usually do for the PS4. 
even though my main gamer that I play it with, Michelle, won't probably won't be able to play it till after April because tax season. But uh, I'll probably get into it. I just won't touch it until I'm on with her because I want to experience it fresh with her. Um, yeah, I think yeah. the gun design. Oh, going quickly mentioning the guns, I think they also really did uh, consider that aspect that you mentioned about the guns in the D and D world. Because if you look at some of the designs, even you have automatic crossbows and stuff as some of the designs for how the guns actually okay, see, look. I didn't, I didn't hear that. I just know it. Like every scene you see, it looks like they're holding a gun. So I'm like, okay, they, they're still they using guns, guns but... and they have guns that are designed. Yeah. Like some <laughs> of the SMGs are actually like auto crossbows. So. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Well, I learned something new there and I, you know, don't get wrong. I'm, I'm going to, go in as fresh as possible, but I'll still do some digging on it just because I'm like that when I'm, when I go into games, but okay. So we've, we've actually gone for almost 90 minutes now. So, uh, (laughs) this is going to be an extra long episode for anybody out there listening. So, uh, before I say goodbye, I'm going to thank you for joining me, Anthony, and enjoying having, allowing me to have fun with this conversation and talk about nerdy stuff that I like to talk about. Um, absolutely. And then I'm going to say to anybody out there listening, thank you. I am going to thank everybody who supports me in putting this to, this little passion project of mine together. Um, as well as Spider for his wonderful artwork for my podcast. He he does wonderful art for my podcast, and he also does wonderful art on my body. Can't wait till my next appointment. Um, and yeah, and then I'm going to say if you want to get a hold of me, you can send me comments, questions, topics you'd like to hear me talk about to standstrongcast at gmail.com. And with that, see you later. Later.